This is the time for the U.S. to get back, to work with our allies to ensure that UNESCO's work reflects democratic values and our commitments to the U.N. Charter. Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Back in 2017, the Trump administration announced that the United States would formally leave UNESCO, the UN's education, scientific, and cultural organization, which is probably best known for its designation of World Heritage Sites. This decision by the Trump administration followed several years in which the United States stopped paying its UNESCO membership dues, owing to a 2011 decision by UNESCO member states to admit Palestine as a member. American laws on the book prevent the United States from paying membership dues to any UN entity that admits Palestine. After accumulating hundreds of millions of dollars in arrears, the U.S. lost its vote at UNESCO and was kicked off the executive committee. So, by the time the Trump administration formally quit UNESCO, American engagement with the organization was rather limited. But the Biden administration came to office seeking to reverse course, rejoin UNESCO, and pay America's financial dues. On June 12th this year, and announced a plan to do just that. Joining me to discuss America's relationship with UNESCO and explain why the Biden administration is seeking to rejoin is Peter Yeo, president of the Better World Campaign and senior vice president at the United Nations Foundation. We kick off discussing what exactly UNESCO does and how it supports American interests before having a longer conversation about this recent fraught history between UNESCO and the United States. Peter Yeo then explains the process by which the Biden administration is seeking to rejoin UNESCO, which requires congressional action. This is a story I've been following for many years, and I was glad to chat with Peter Yeo to bring this story to you. And as always, if you have suggestions of topics I should cover or people I should interview, please send me an email. You can do so using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Thanks. And I do think that regular listeners know this, but in addition to the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the United Nations Foundation's Better World Campaign is one of the key funders of my work. So disclosure there. 
Now, here is my conversation with Peter Yeo, president of the Better World Campaign and executive vice president of the United Nations Foundation. To kick off, can you just explain what does UNESCO do for listeners who might be unfamiliar with the organization? UNESCO is the UN's agency that deals with educational, scientific, and cultural issues. It's based in Paris, and most UN members are also a member of UNESCO. It creates international standards and norms around educational and scientific issues. It works on projects around the world to improve educational systems to advance scientific progress, and to protect important cultural and historical sites. And it's a very effective and changing organization designed to make sure that the world's scientific knowledge is advanced, and that, among other things, that women are increasingly brought into scientific endeavors and on cultural issues that conflict and other types of rapid change is not used to undermine cultural progress and forget the history of countries. So there's a lot of really important work that UNESCO does that I think advances the overall progress in the world and certainly advances the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So I know that day-to-day you work to advance American interests at the UN and advance and enhance US-UN cooperation. How does UNESCO as an entity, in your view, advance American interests? I would say a couple things, which is that first of all, it's important that the US work effectively with other countries to tackle global challenges. US dollars, taxpayer dollars always go further when we work with like-minded countries as opposed to going it alone. We're also operating an increasingly interconnected world where we have to work effectively with other countries' policy structures and other countries' aid agencies, educational educations, scientific organizations. We have to work with other countries' entities to try to advance progress And UNESCO allows us to do that. So first of all, UNESCO, by working in the context of UNESCO, we can advance progress by working with other countries and other countries' organizations. I think the second area is the U.S. has strategic interests in Africa, Europe, around the world, whether it's Ukraine or Mali or Yemen or Colombia. UNESCO is in all of those countries. It's working to advance the educational systems in those countries, which are very important in terms of promoting stability, enhancing community development, and giving kids an alternative to violence. So UNESCO's work in those countries very much advances U.S. foreign policy and national security priorities in some countries that are pretty frontline to our interests. So the United States formally left UNESCO during the Trump administration, but it was a process that was set in motion 
during the Obama years. Can you just explain and describe the circumstances that led the United States to leave UNESCO? Well, the U.S. left UNESCO because in 2011, the UNESCO member states voted to admit Palestine as a full member state. This triggered two U.S. laws from the 1990s that prohibit the U.S. from funding any multilateral organization that admits Palestine as a full member state. And there wasn't a waiver in the law. They gave the president no discretion to make an alternative decision about whether to stay in or stay out. And so as a result, the U.S. withdrew all funding from UNESCO. And then in 2017, the Trump administration made the decision to withdraw the U.S. actually as a member of UNESCO. We hadn't, of course, given them any money for six years. We were in extensive financial arrears. Our participation in UNESCO at that point was fairly minimal because of our failure to pay. And the Trump administration did not support U.S. continued participation in UNESCO. So the U.S. withdrew. Since the United States stopped paying its payments to UNESCO, I have to imagine that included like a huge financial hit to the organization. How did UNESCO react or how did that financial hit impact UNESCO's operations around the world? Well, the U.S. national contributions to UNESCO, as they are for all UN agencies, is set at 22%. So for UNESCO to lose 22% of its funding in one year, let alone the many follow-on years where the U.S. did not make a financial contribution, was really quite a blow to UNESCO operations. I also want to stress that it's not just U.S. national contributions, which are required for participation in the organization, but the U.S. had made voluntary contributions to UNESCO that were also important to the work of the organization, including U.S. voluntary contributions to strengthen UNESCO's work around Holocaust education, for which UNESCO is known for its very important and groundbreaking work to make sure that the world never forgets the Holocaust and fight against those forces in our world today that would have us forget the Holocaust or change its interpretation. And so what happened was other countries did up their financial contributions to UNESCO, but UNESCO itself really slimmed down its work in some areas and really came up with a strategic plan that refocused UNESCO on its most important mandates. And so as a result, the UNESCO we're seeing today, I think is better run organization and is really focused on its most important mandates where it can have a transformative impact as opposed to doing work where other UN organizations are also well in the space. Did do you see over the years since the United States lost its vote at UNESCO owing to its lack of making its contributions to UNESCO, then eventually leaving UNESCO, there to be any significant political impact to UNESCO's work? Like, did other countries step up and sort of fill the vacuum that would normally be occupied by the United States? The other countries of the world, particularly our friends in Europe, certainly filled the gap in part, left by the U.S. departure. 
it required other countries not only to step up financially, but also to step up in terms of battling back against a series of bad ideas. You know, UNESCO resolutions, UNESCO programs, we're not consistent with our values. We're not consistent with democratic values. And so other countries, I think, were quite successful in helping to fill the space left by the U.S. departure. But during this exact same time, we have seen an incredible rise of other actors in UN organizations, including in UNESCO, particularly China, because China is now the largest national contributor to UNESCO in terms of its assessed dues. It's not the largest contributor in terms of its voluntary contributions to UNESCO, but it is the largest contributor in terms of assessed contributions. And that gives it much more influence over UNESCO's work. And as UNESCO tackles important things like standards on artificial intelligence, freedom of the press, protection of journalism, China has more say than it ever has in UNESCO. This is the time for the U.S. to get back, to work with our allies to ensure that UNESCO's work reflects democratic values and our commitments to the U.N. Charter. So we're speaking at this unique moment in which not long ago, the United States announced that it would rejoin UNESCO, but the United States has not yet rejoined UNESCO. There are a few steps in that process. But can you just explain to listeners like what went into that decision to rejoin UNESCO and what are some of the immediate steps that need to be taken? The Biden administration, since it came into office, has prioritized rejoining UNESCO, along with rejoining other UN agencies or refunding other UN agencies that the Trump administration had pulled out of or defunded. And it wasn't just UNESCO. There was a few other agencies like the World Health Organization, like the Paris Climate Accord, like UNRWA, that the Trump administration had either withdrawn from, sought to withdraw from, or taken away all the money. So from the beginning of the Biden administration, they have prioritized this, rejoining UNESCO. But there's been some key kill allies. Senator Chris Coons, who's the chairman of the State Foreign Ops Appropriations Subcommittee, has also prioritized getting the U.S. back into UNESCO. So last year, in the context of the big omnibus spending bill, Congress granted the administration a waiver authority from these 1990 laws to allow the U.S. to rejoin UNESCO, but didn't provide any funding to do that. And so the administration has cobbled together some money that would allow us to pay this year's bills to UNESCO should we succeed in rejoining. And then the Biden administration has submitted a plan to UNESCO that would, over time, allow us to pay back the money we owe UNESCO in financial arrears. These financial arrears accrued basically when the United States was forced to stop paying UNESCO by those 1990 laws, but still remained a part of the organization. It just wasn't paying. Right. I mean, it was a six to seven year period where we weren't paying and now we owe the money. And, you know, if hindsight's 2020, maybe the U.S. would have withdrawn sooner and we wouldn't owe these arrears, but we do. And payment to these arrears or a plan 
to pay these arrears is important because we need to get our vote back and we need to be on the executive board of UNESCO. And both of this is dependent upon us paying our dues. So UNESCO has called for a general conference at the end of June of UNESCO member states to consider the U.S. plan to rejoin UNESCO, including the plan to pay back our arrears over time. And so that's another hurdle that has to be cleared before the U.S. could officially rejoin. But my understanding is, is that the U.S. decision to seek rejoining UNESCO has been very well received in Paris, very well received among UNESCO member states. There was wild applause when it was announced. And my sources are telling me that the diplomats who represent their countries in UNESCO very much want to see the U.S. return to UNESCO and play an important role, not only in financially supporting the UN, UNESCO's work, but also in terms of the sort of normative work that UNESCO does. And the U.S. can play an important role in steering these negotiations, these discussions in a positive direction. So from the UNESCO side, you don't see much of a challenge that indeed UNESCO's membership will want the United States back in UNESCO for you know a number of reasons. But the real challenge, if I'm understanding you, is really on the American side, finding that money to pay the arrears, which would you know give the United States more heft, more voice, and and you know possibly even a vote at UNESCO. Yeah, the biggest challenge at the moment is working with Congress to sort of free up this year's contribution to UNESCO, and that's currently pending on Capitol Hill, and then work with Congress over time to begin to pay back the arrears while it stays up to date on next year's dues and the following year's dues. So it's an ongoing project working with Congress to make sure that Congress appreciates the value of UNESCO, why we participate. And in this era of managed competition with China, why leaving UNESCO to other countries and where China has a more important role than ever is a mistake. And it's important that the U.S. get back to the table. It's important that the U.S., advance our values together with our allies at UNESCO. And the only way we can do that is if we pay our dues. Are you seeing that argument framed around great power competition gaining traction in Congress? I mean, I have to imagine there are reluctant members of Congress, probably more on the Republican side than the Democratic side, I would imagine, who might be less willing to want to support the United States rejoining UNESCO and, and paying its dues. Is it exclusively like the great power competition argument that you're seeing gaining traction on that side of the aisle? Or are there other arguments you're seeing sort of also supporting the cause of rejoining UNESCO? There are two major streams of arguments that I think are new to the UNESCO debate that are helping to move the needle. Number one, as you noted, is the great power competition. And I think many members of Congress appreciate that U.S. withdrawal from U.N. organizations leaves the playing field to others who do not share our values and who are aggressively trying to run down U.S. influence wherever they can. And so U.S. failure to pay our dues, U.S. non-membership in UNESCO 
leaves the playing field to others. And that's a mistake in terms of American interests. Second area that works for UNESCO is looking at ways in which UNESCO is advancing interests that are very similar to American interests. So they're helping to build, rebuild the city of Mosul in Iraq, for instance, which was dominated by ISIL, where they destroyed the most important mosque. You know, the U.S. has a long-term interest in the stability of Iraq, and UNESCO is working side by side with us to help create that stability. UNESCO is in Ukraine, again, working with teachers, working with students, working to make sure that the next generation of Ukrainian kids are going to be educated and are going to be able to become leaders in their own country. They're not letting the war stop their efforts to work with the Ukrainian government to educate these kids. In fact, they're stepping into the breach. So those are just a couple of examples where, you know, Ukraine and Iraq are core to our interests as Americans, and the UNESCO is working side by side with us. I think those two basket of arguments can really work effectively with members of Congress. Peter, thank you so much for your time. This is helpful, and you know we'll see how this unfolds in the coming weeks and months for sure. Thanks for having me, Mark. Thank you for listening to Global Dispatches. Our show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg, and edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you have questions or comments, please email us using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Before you go, do take a moment to show your support for the show by becoming a premium subscriber. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can do so with a couple taps of your thumb. If you're listening elsewhere, you can go to patreon.com slash globaldispatches. We rely on support from listeners to continue to do what we do far into the future. And by becoming a premium subscriber, you will unlock access to our entire archive of hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Please rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts. <laughs>